1: Hi, I'm Terry Williams, president of One United Bank. We're proud to announce One United Money Moves, our smarter person-to-person payment experience. Send payments in real time without delay, not in an hour or a day, but right away. And it includes proactive security. You're protected with One United Bank. We keep breaking records to empower you, so join me at OneUnited.com today.
0: One United.
2: Welcome to Cherry's World. I am Cherry Johnson. My co-host Mr. Courtney Blackman is not here right now because he is getting higher learning. That's right. He went back to college y'all. He got some math classes. He got the pass. So I'm in the hot seat by myself but I got a treat for you. I got one of my favorite men in the house. This one really is favorite because he's happens to be mine. His name is Mr. E. Mr. E is a director, a producer, a writer. And he is here today to talk to us about his film, Triple D Revenge. He is a triple D legend. And I'm not talking about my boobs. I am talking about Dallas.
3: The only podcast coming through your beat stereo. is Cherry's World, so let's go around like a merry go Plug your phone in, make sure I got a full battery. Download it Wednesday. Listen to it Saturday. She cover all topics, whatever you after. She got ball players, authors, doctors, actors, rappers, singers, entrepreneurs, divas, leaders. Androids or Apple, turn up your speakers. Trying to shoot my shot like the vaccine. Whether it's Cherry or Maxine. Whether the podcast or acting, she that queen. PYT, you know what that mean. So you on tv and touch the screen touch on you i plead lucy's got a crush on you it'll mean the world to get a blush from you teaspoon to me leave you sleep like robitussin do.
2: so i like you in pastels
3: wait a second
2: i like you in pastels
3: thank you that means a lot coming from you
2: you're really handsome in that shirt
3: thank you wow
2: <laughs> you're,
3: you're really gorgeous in whatever you it could do. be a trash bag, it could it could it could be a doormat it's just you look know, gorgeous and whatever.
2: You just love me. So let's get into it. Now I can't start talking about Triple D Revenge without talking about Triple D. All
3: right.
2: So where did the whole concept come from about Triple D and how did it all evolve into a full-fledged feature film?
3: Um Triple D was a, a movement. It was, um, they used to call it Dirty, Dirty Dallas. Well, they still do it's Dirty, Dirty Dallas. That's what the abbreviation stand for. Mm-hmm. And um, Triple D was a movement that happened some uh, years ago. Shout out to Young Nino and High Boy. You know what I mean? The the, the godfathers of the movement, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, we, we as, as a city, we wanted to separate ourselves at first. You know, we called ourselves Big D, but then also Detroit, shout out to Detroit, they called themselves Big D as well. And so uh, that's how we kind of moved to Triple D, you know what I mean? And uh, it was a whole movement. I did a record called uh, the Triple D Anthem about uh, 2012. And um, I did a movie called The Triple D Movie, and it's just the movement and everything kept going from there. So, Long story short, Triple D is the nickname for Dallas.
2: So I love it. My city. The Triple D, the movie, became yeah. a movement within itself. They say if you can win in Texas, yeah. you won everywhere.
4: Yeah. You
2: definitely won in Texas. And it made you come back and do it again. And that Absolutely. gave us Triple D Revenge. That's a movie. Well, tell us about the concept for Triple D Revenge.
3: Uh, Triple D Revenge was actually a continuation of part one, which I'll mention again, the Triple D movie. Um, it was, it was, uh, it's kind of like the part two of the Triple D movie. And, um, Triple D Revenge is basically about a guy who walks into a, a funeral and he discovers that a family member was unjustly murdered and executed by a drug overlord. And now he has to figure out how to get close enough to this drug uh, drug overlord in order to get um, close enough to him to get revenge. And so he has to be slick and he has to be conniving. And with the help of some others, he finally does get close only to try and um, Try to figure out within himself is if it's revenge that he wants or if it's justice that he
2: wants. Now that is a message that hits close to home. I Morning. have some cousins who are I would call it vacation. They're on vacation right now. Diggity, Diggity. freedom, you know. Freedom. So um, can you elaborate a little bit on the underlying message that you were trying to give people? doing this film when it comes to uh, revenge and justice?
3: Yeah, you know, a lot of times we want revenge um, because it's the easiest way to get closure. And the truth is um, sometimes justice is the easiest way to get closure you don't necessarily want to be vengeful you just want to sleep at night knowing that things have balanced itself because revenge is usually the cause of a ongoing and un- and repeating cycle and uh, nobody wins
2: oh, nobody wins as a director can we talk a little bit about the film production before we get into like the characters
4: Yes, absolutely. I
2: know that a lot of people will pick a movie, right? And they'll be like, I want my film to look like this. And then they'll hand that film to the DP, hoping that he can kind of put a spin on it, make it original, but also, like, kind of, I hate to say copy, but maybe the lighting is the same or copy concepts. Is there any movie that you used? or any piece of art that you use that is incorporated into the aesthetics of Triple D Revenge because aesthetically is very distinct and it's shot beautifully.
3: Yes, man, thank you for that. Um, shout out to my whole team who were equally responsible for the the look and the feel of Triple D Revenge. Shout out to my DP who was the cinematographer. And for those who don't know, DP is director of photography. He's responsible for the look. Shout out to him. And just the whole casting crew. crew. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I almost did that. I almost did that. But then I realized that if if I was ever going to come up with my own style, mm-hmm. that I had to study just filmmaking um, hard enough where I developed my own style. I, I've noticed that some of the great um, directors, they they tend to have their uh, own look and own style, and I want to do the same. and And, and, and I'm happy to say that I've be- begun um, an original look, the director Mister E look, when it comes to um, you know my features, and I'm, I'm I'm happy for that. So I almost did, but I actually did not go to my DP and say, "Hey, this is the style I want to emulate," you know. For that reason, I wanted to be really original when it came to uh, the the look and the style of uh, cinematography concerning the film.
2: Because you didn't take a muse from someone else's work, how did you come up with your creative decisions?
3: Um, sometimes it's small tweaks, and sometimes it's the lighting. Sometimes it is the editing, um, the pace at which the pictures cut. Um, sometimes it's the coloring, you know what I mean. Um, I did my best to use all those things um, to kind of work to my favor to to, to um, bring something original and authentic to the to the screen from the film.
2: I really appreciate what you do because you stay true to the craft. You studied film for like seven years, right? Before yes ever touched anything and try to put anything on screen. What is your writing process? And are you completely visual as you're putting stuff down on paper?
3: Um, my, my writing process consists of making sure that everybody around me is asleep so I don't get disturbed. So usually I write at night. And, um, you know, I, I focus mostly on the characters. I I do my best to try to develop and build the characters, and then I actually allow the characters to tell the story based on who they are.
2: So when you're talking about character development, right? Yes. You write the characters, even though it's a continuation, so some of your characters are already casting, but you did introduce some new cast members into Triple D Revenge that weren't in the original, the Triple D movie. That's correct. While you were developing the characters that weren't already in the film, did you know who they were?
3: So, the characters that came, um, the characters that came over from the first film, which was just two or three of them, they need they they had some much needed um, character development because I had learned so much since the first Triple D, uh, the Triple D movie, and then the second thing is. Um, I got an opportunity to create new characters based on the fact that I knew so much more about uh character development. So that you, answers your question.
2: Yes, absolutely. So, okay. when, so I'm like really excited right now because you have two very special women to meet in the film. I mean, not that all the women weren't special. Yes,
4: yes. You know,
2: put it like that. But there's <laughs> two characters that stand out to me. Um, one was played by Erica Pinkett.
3: Shout out to Erica
2: and the other one was played by Raven. Okay. So when so. you really wrote their characters, did you know that they were gonna be the ones playing them?
3: No, I, I didn't. I honestly didn't. Um, I, I didn't know until I got to casting. Matter of fact, it's ironic that you asked me because both of those, I, uh, both of those characters had two totally different actresses that I casted in the beginning And I think those are literally probably the only two characters that I end up recasting. Of course, before we got started, but I end up recasting those characters and rethinking those characters. So it's funny that you say that they stand out. I mean, that's a great eye. That's a great eye on your part. Wow.
4: Well,
2: I think that they nailed it.
3: Thank you so much. Shout out to them.
4: Yeah, out to those ladies.
2: They did a great job. job. And not that all the ladies didn't do a great job, but let's talk about these ladies and this great job, okay? Okay. Now, I think it's too hot for YouTube, so I don't think I can play it on here. But there is something about a Misty E sex scene. (laughs) I can't decide if it's just a sex scene or if you gave us some.
4: And I have to whisper because so it, makes me, it
3: makes me. Yeah, <laughs> really you know what? I I did my best, and you can critique me on this. I'm open to it. I did my best to try and make it tasteful and make it art. And I try not to go too far, you know. I try not to, because the thing about a lovemaking scene is there should always be a little of a tease and a little of an illusion. And kind of like feeling like a silhouette, where it's embellished.
2: Nothing about it is raunchy. It is definitely like the playboy of, And I have to say it, because when I saw, like you see the arching of the back and the nipple placement is like perfect. She's got really pretty boobs too. And the nipple placement is like perfect, but it was very soft and sensual. And it's actually a beautiful scene.
3: Wow, thank you. Thank you.
2: Yeah. how, How does one like that happen? Because I am not one of those actresses who are okay, you know, just taking off all my clothes. and. Going for it, but obviously they were mighty comfortable.
3: Man, that's that's good because you know my goal is to always make sure that love making scenes translate in a in a way where you see the connection between the people involved. So I always want everybody to look comfortable because it makes the the audience comfortable, right? You know, and I want to connect with the audience, and I want them to be so lost in the love scene that they see themselves on screen when they watch it. So if that's how it translated, then I think that uh, the team did a good job.
2: They did an amazing job. And I mean, it was like, can I get too, I don't want to give too much away, but I no. will say there was some girl on girl action. It. And it's,
4: <laughs>
2: I will say that Um. Now it's one thing when you're directing two women in a scene, but then when you bring, you know, a man into the element, did the vibe change? Because it doesn't look like it did on screen. Like they were all, did they know it? You, you
3: you know what the the thing is? Um, I, I'm blessed because I was able to cast. Uh, my God, Chase Pat, shout out to him. He was a perfect gentleman, and a lot of times it has to do with the vibe before the camera even starts rolling. And um, I'm pleased to say that my guy was very professional, and we were um, we were just in a space where we could develop an understanding and develop a connection before we ever got on screen. You know what I mean? And so um, it really did feel like magic when the camera start rolling, it felt very organic because we just had a group of us that uh, that really fuck with each other, you know what I mean? And we wanted the scene to be dope. We wanted it to be authentic. And um, I feel like uh, that's what, what they accomplished and I'm, I'm proud of them.
2: The elements of the film are dynamic. Like you have action, you have drama, you have love, you have sex, and then you have suspense too but it's like the perfect balance of everything. How did you balance it all? And how did you like choreograph it?
3: Thank you. It's funny you said that not to backtrack, but another thing with love scenes is I choreographed them. Right? And the reason why I choreograph them is because I like everybody to be able to anticipate the action of their counterpart or um, whoever's in the scene with them. I want them, I want it to be a well understood dance. So we actually do choreograph the love scenes movement by movement. Um, As far as those different elements, I'm hard on myself to be honest. And I always thought if they don't like this, maybe I should put this in there so they like it. If they don't like this, then maybe I should put this. So for those that are looking for romance, I'm gonna put just a little, Hint of romance. For those who like sex scenes, I want to put a little hint of sex scenes. For those who like action, I want to give it a little hint of action. For those who are really into music, let me power pack the soundtrack so that way they can get through the film. For those who like suspense, let me keep building the incidents and building the dilemma so that way I can keep them into the film in in hopes that they would like it.
2: You did the action you were talking about, like it you have intense action sequences. Okay, it's not just like a little action. How did you work on choreographing that? And did you have like a whole stunt team?
3: No, we didn't have. I wish we would have had a stunt team. We didn't have a stunt team at all. And if I'm being honest, there were certain things and certain spots where i like, man, that would have been so much better if we had a stunt team. But I did have a team. Shout out to my boy, Jamal. He was responsible for a lot of the stunts. I had a team that was invested enough to say, yo, we're going to give it all we got. You know, and, um, you know, I, I, I think we were able to do just enough to make it through. So I'm happy about that.
2: So question, when you were hiring actors, right? Yes. This casting process, was it like, are you willing to do your own stunts?
3: You know what, to to be honest with you, I didn't even know how physical we would end up getting. So to answer your question, no, it wasn't even part of the agreement because I I had no idea how uh, in depth we were going to be physically, but we had a lot of people doing a lot of things that could have even looked or seemed dangerous. And that just—that's just a testimony of how dedicated they were to really make an adult film, and I'm thankful for it.
2: You—you you said could have seen there was like some heavy artillery in that movie. So, like in the casting process, you never said, "Hey, are you comfortable shooting a gun?" Because I'm gonna give you a whole semi-automatic weapon.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we had some dangerous situations, but um, we also had people to, to handle them with care. So we didn't have, we ended up not having any incidents, uh, no dangerous positions where any of the cast put into it. We was just ultimately able to get it
4: done.
2: Can we talk about, you know, my favorite scene in the movie is one of the biggest, and I don't want to give too much away, but it's one of the biggest action sequences in the film, where to me, when I watch it, I'm like, oh, this had to take three days. There's no way they got in and got out. But then talking to you behind the scenes, come to find out you didn't have three days to shoot it.
3: No, no, we had um, a day and a half. And if I'm being fair, it was a, um, a warehouse where there were real workers. So at no point did we ever have a full day. We had to wait until um, they closed the warehouse down and ordered the film. So I guess if, you know, it was it was two separate days, but I guess it was maybe a total of 10 hours. We may have had a total of 10 hours to do everything.
2: That scene is completely beautiful. I have to like give you your props. because Wow, thank you. Thank I you. watch it and it's just not something that happens on an independent low budget film.
3: Wow! Thank you, thank you. Like, that means
2: a lot. It looks like it's a huge budget film, and wow. so it stuck out to me because, as a producer, the whole time I'm watching stuff, whether I want to or not, I'm clocking your dollars. Like I'm like, oh, right? Must have spent that. Right? You must have spent that, right? I know some secrets I'll never tell, but I was like, Mister, e, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite genre of film?
3: Uh, definitely crime drama.
2: Definitely crime
4: drama. Okay.
2: okay. That's good to know. Because I'm like, what inspired you to do that? I know you, you're not a big horror buff. I happen to love. No, yeah,
4: I'm not. <laughs>
3: That's but true.
2: Like you have to love action and crime to be able to pull that off. Now, something else that you also pulled off is you taught me something that I did not know about Dallas. It's a huge strip club city. Right, right,
3: right. And you got shot in a strip club. Right, right. How did that go? Um, it went good. It's just that uh strip clubs is 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 familiar territory because that's a big part of our culture. Um most of the fellas that got a little change or got a little bag, they would much rather go to the strip club than uh, go to a regular club. So uh, being exposed to to the culture a lot, it was easy for me to incorporate that in, in, the, in the story and, um, you know, try and make it work.
2: So them girls that was on the polls and them girls that was in the club, is they really strippers?
3: Unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of, real, actual strippers. It was mostly extras that was willing to put on strippers' clothes. It was mostly actresses. Uh, Jada Pinkett was one of them. I don't know. Jada
4: um, <laughs> Pinkett.
3: Yes, shout out to Erica. You know what, and I'm gonna say this, this might get me in trouble, okay. but I feel some type of way because after Toobody Revenge and uh, her being the, the um, the, the one of the strippers that was in the movie, she ended up going to Bmf and playing the same type of character. Oh, do you <laughs> But it probably was coincidence. To be fair, it's no. probably coincidence. But I was like, uh, you know,
2: maybe they saw it and used her as a muse. Maybe,
3: maybe.
2: That means, you, 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 inspiring. Uh, cause where do they shoot? Don't they shoot in Houston? Atlanta. Oh, they shoot in Atlanta.
3: Yeah, in Atlanta.
2: Okay, Atlanta, you trying to take from Texas?
3: Now, you know what? I don't even think it was a city. Um, uh, Erica Pinker has one of those type of bodies where I don't think it's hard to conceptualize her being an exotic entertainer. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to sit there and just take all the credit, but I, I will say that she did an excellent job in Triple D Revenge, and I don't think it's far-fetched to... Give her a similar character in another movie.
2: Shout out to them ladies, because I don't think I could go on an audition and be like, hey, you okay being a scripper? I might be like, mm, I think I'm gonna have to pass because I don't got I don't got no scripper skills. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So did you ask the ladies um to perform in any ways where they was like, yo, I ain't got no training for this, or were they just down and willing?
3: No, they, they, they were pretty excited. Obviously, when I casted, I let them know uh, what position they would be playing. And, you know, they they made the choice to say, hey, I'm up for it. How, how much experience they had? I don't know. But what I do know is when we got going. Um, they, they was turned up. Shout out to them ladies.
4: Thank
2: you. <laughs> and they did a beautiful job, way better than I could have ever done. I want to ask you questions, but I I'm, I don't want to get too much into the story because I want everybody to go and watch Triple D Revenge. Then I want you to ask me questions. And if you write me questions, I'm going to see if I can get Mr. E to come back on. And we might be able to ask him some of those questions and he'll answer them.
3: Oh, my God. I would love that. I would absolutely okay. love that. And ask me hard questions. Ask me questions you don't think I'm going to know. Like, just go ahead.
2: Okay, so I have a question for you that I don't know if you're going to know. Were okay. there the hidden symbolisms or Easter eggs that you hid in the movie um, from the first film that you would only notice if you watched the Triple D?
3: Um, man. I would have to sit here and think of it because I had a few. Like, for example, um, there was a character in the first, the Triple D movie that everybody loved. His name is Dip. We call him DJ Dip. Well, he passed. And so when he passed away, he passed away before being able to be casted for Triple D Revenge. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of things in honor of him. Um, I did keep his character. I kept his name. And also, if you look very closely, you'll see his obituary in the film.
4: That's really sweet.
3: Yeah. Um, We got some more uh, little nuggets that, um, the thing is, the the, the nuggets that I know, I don't want to give them away. But if you but but there's another nugget, and I'll give you a clue. There's another nugget with the uh, his real name is Chase Pat, but the the um, the actor not Raymond Simon. His name is Simon. Well, Simon is in the first the Triple D, and he does and says some things that remind you of his character in uh, the Triple D movie. And what it does is it actually picks back up on his whole motivation of why he doesn't like the antagonist, which is Big Lou. So yeah, it's a lot of little nuggets and a lot of little treats that if you watch the first one. Now, obviously the first one is not as quality, but um, it's a very dope story. Uh, Shout out to um, all the cast members that was in the first Triple D. It's a lot of rappers and artists that was lit at the time. but. It's a good story and it's definitely worth watching. And it's going to give you some insight about uh, Triple D Revenge.
2: I love the fact that you say, like, um, aesthetically, it's different, right?
4: Right. Because every
2: time we do something, we're always supposed to get better.
3: Absolutely. In
2: the past. So if the Triple D Revenge is more aesthetically pleasing to the eye than the Triple D movie, what did you learn in between the two films? to make you
3: like, you know, up your bar? You know what, just filmmaking. When I did uh, the Triple D movie, I was just excited at the fact that I had somebody that was willing to do it with me. We had a camera, we had our imagination and pretty close to no real knowledge of filmmaking, but we was we was uh, ambitious and we wanted it to to put it together. Well, we, we experienced a little success And we was like, yo, this could be big. So one of the things that I I learned was uh, cinematography. It was a big difference between um, the first one and the second. Um, Lighting, shout out to again, my boy, Les, the DP. Um, The lighting was so much better, even though, and I'm going to just give this away, you guys, when you guys do dark films, just understand that a lot of times, the the set is very, very well lit. And and, and it's not until you do the editing and the coloring that what we call crushing it, we crush it and give it that dark look, but you can see everything. You know what I mean? And so lighting is very important. Sound, um, I spent close to $100,000 just on sound, between the on location sound, between sound design, between mixing, between clearing. We spent quite a a, a portion on of our budget on sound, and that's because it was very important. So I was just very determined to right a lot of the
0: wrongs that.
3: was on the Triple D movie, but if you want to see where we came from, just definitely tap into the Triple D movie, because that was definitely our humble beginning.
2: Can we talk about that for a minute? You know, that is one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to low-budget, independent, or 2B movies, is sound. Like, everybody who has a camera now is a filmmaker. Right, and Tubi is like they're accepting some stuff that I'm like, ooh, why did you do that? Yeah. Shooting up against white walls, I don't know what they just said. Um,
4: right.
2: What made you realize that you were like, wait, I gotta go in and I gotta make this sound right? I got the opportunity to watch Triple D Revenge in a the theater.
4: Right,
2: you got some sound that made me drunk. Right, and then you got some sound that like made me okay, and I could hear like the sounds going from one speaker bouncing to the next speaker. What made you realize that that was something that you were like? Oh, we're not gonna do this again. Like we gonna do this one?
3: Um, I just didn't like how it made me feel when we were in the theaters uh, when we were in the the premiere. For the Triple D movie. I just didn't like the way it made me feel. I didn't, I didn't like not being able to hear some of the dialogue. I didn't like some parts of it not being clear. I don't I didn't like the interference of the wind and all that type of stuff. But you know, obviously when you know better, you do better, right? So um I, I discovered that there is definitely an art form towards making sure that your sound is crisp. Your dialogue is clear, the music is clear, the mix is clear, so on and so forth. And uh, I was determined not to make that same mistake again. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sound is probably one of the most overlooked things when it comes to filmmaking, because a lot of people is focused on what's what's coming into the camera, The cinematography, they're focused on the kind of camera, they focused on being able to work this equipment and that equipment and being able to brag and say, oh, we got this type of camera. But your camera is literally about 20% of everything when it comes to the film. So um, it's just important to focus on these other things that really make your film cinematic. And that's what I was determined to do this go around.
2: Yeah, it was, it's beautiful. You know, one of the things that I hear guys say all the time is such and such got this camera. It's such and such got this camera. Oh my God. And I'm like, slow your roll, but what lens packages do they have?
3: Absolutely.
2: Because you're, you're the right, right? I would tell you it's not necessarily yeah. right off camera because the audience is not going to know, but we're going to know the feel that the different lens give us.
3: Right, right. A- absolutely. Um, Lens, is extremely important because um, it dictates the look, it it dictates the way the shot is framed and how it looks in the camera. Um, And that's the reason why lenses are usually a whole lot more expensive than the camera. I've seen guys get 15, $20,000 cameras and then thousand or $500 stock lenses and your film is going to look just like that. And, and Let me tell you this, in, in layman's terms, it's the equivalent of um, going to Neiman Marcus, and you have a $1,500 outfit, and then uh, you're wearing flip-flops with him.
2: Absolutely. Or you got a $5,000 purse, but you only got $5. And that's, that's, a
3: good that, no. that's a good one. That's a I good one. That's a good one.
2: And so right. talk about I think the aesthetics of the movie and the fact that it's totally pleasing to the eye is one of the reasons why it is one of these top-rated films.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Um it, it's it's just uh filmmaking 101, making sure that um the 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 frame looks good, making sure that it's shot solid. You know what I mean. Um, every camera movement, every camera placement, it means something, and it should push your story and your plot forward. And there's a there's a um, a skill set to making sure that um, whatever you do, cinematography wise, is um, pushing
1: the platform. Hi, I'm Terry Williams, president of One United Bank. We're proud to announce One United Money Moves, our smarter person-to-person payment experience. Send payments in real time without delay, not in an hour or a day, but right away. And it includes proactive security. You're protected with One United Bank. We keep breaking records to empower you. So join me at oneunited.com today.
0: One, you-
2: I love the fact that you talked about cinematography wise. So, obviously, you were the writer, you were one of the producers, you directed, but you have a cinematographer, and there's other key members to the production team that you needed to make sure they understood your vision completely. When Absolutely. Being said, there's so many low budget independent filmmakers who don't spend pre production time. They rush the pre-production, get into production, and then spend all their time shooting and editing. How important do you feel that pre-production is?
3: Um, it's everything. It's it's everything. Um, if you have, if you spend your time wisely during pre-production, then you have a solid foundation to shoot on. The, the, the thing is, when you really Uh, pour love into your pre-production, your cast usually feels that during production and it makes it easier on them. And then after filming and good pre-production, when you get to post-production, which is the editing and everything, it makes it easier on your editors. It makes it easier on your uh, sound mixers and ADO and everything else that has to do with wrapping up the film and making a good package.
2: From filmmaker to filmmaker, can I get a little specific with you? How
4: please, long, please.
2: How long did you spend during pre-production?
3: Um, I want to be honest. I don't remember, but I do remember us taking our time. Um, if I want to be fair, probably six to eight months. If I was to just take an educated guess, I would say about six to eight months.
2: Okay, so we got six to eight months on three. Mm -hmm. How long did you spend on production? If you guys don't know, that's the actual shooting time.
3: It was 40 shooting days, and it was about two and a half months.
2: Wow. And then how long did you spend on post?
3: Post was about eight months. It was about eight months. But but the reason why that was was because I I'm a stickler again for sound and the work outweighed the budget. So a lot of that time was just waiting on more funding and um, waiting on uh, making sure I pay. Like I said, I, 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 I the amount of money that we spent. On um, sound was was more than most, and I didn't want to cut any corners and I, and I'm very, very thankful at the time we was trying to um, go to theaters and with theaters, for those who don't know, um, they require a certain standard and the way they measure that standard is what they call quality control. And it's a very tedious um, it's a very tedious process where you have, not only mechanically, but real people that scrutinize almost every frame of your film to make sure that it meets a certain quality. So I'll be honest with you, there are movies that are on streaming platforms that will never qualify for quality control, that will never pass quality control because they just simply don't have the quality. Our plans was to get theatric distribution, so we had to pass quality control. And that's what I was going for. And that's and that's what we did.
2: A lot of people think that post-production is just editing, but it's like editing, it's it's colorization, sound design, it's the score, it's the foley. Um a lot of people don't know that just like you mix down an album, you have to mix down the right. whole entire film, which brings right. to the score. Who's right. Triple D Revenge?
3: And is way more Detailed. Mixing down a, a, a film is way more detailed than mixing down an album for sure. Um I put together a team to do the scoring, and they they all went their separate ways. They so I end up doing all the scoring on my own. I did all the scoring composition, all the theme composition, the scoring composition. Um, and, and for those who don't know, the scoring is when something is about to happen, and you hear the music that kind of give you the feeling of whether it's happy moment or a sad moment or whatever, that's what the the scoring is. And I, I did all the scoring composition.
2: You did an amazing job, and you know, even though you had hired a whole crew to do it, and you ended up doing it yourself, I think that's a strong testament on everything happens for a reason, and everything right. happens the way it's supposed to. Because if somebody else were to touch the film we'd feel totally different. And I, I truly believe that nobody could show us your vision the way you showed us your vision. Touching on the challenges that you had, right? Can you tell us about one of the moments that you went through when you were doing Triple D Revenge that you were just like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna get over this hurdle.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, I go to the airport and I go get Erica Pinkett. Shout out to Erica Pinkett again. Um, I, I do a scene with Erica Pinkett, and uh, they were always telling me, "Mr. E, you do too much. You do too much. You need to let other cast members do things." And. You know, it's not that I don't want, not cast members, I'm sorry, crew members. You need to let the other crew members take some of the burden off of you. And I I normally do. But certain things are delicate, and I go ahead and do them myself just to make sure that they're done. But there's nothing I would want more than to, um, you know, delegate some of these these duties to my, my fellow crew members. Well, I had a crew member in particular, that was like, yo, you need to let me start doing the locations for you, and that's very, very delicate. But nonetheless, I said, okay, I'm gonna let you do it. I go get Erica Pinkin from the airport. I say, yo, we got a hotel scene. That's where we did the love scene. I want y'all to go with me on this. Just imagine, this is where you do the love scene. So I was like, we got the hotel ready to go? He said, yes. I haven't seen the hotel, right? I'm scared. So, <laughs> so we pull up at the hotel. I get into a debate with the hotel guy. But the bottom line is, I get the hotel, I pull up. Something told me to tell Erica Pinkett, stay put. Let me go check things out, all right? I get in the hotel room, and it is a whole roach infestation hotel. It was so many roaches that scattered everywhere, and all I could think of was the voice in my head saying, yo, I got to do it because I got to make sure it's done correctly. So I asked him, I said, yo, we got to recover because this is not going to work. And our talent is waiting and and the crew is waiting and the cast is waiting. And we're spending $2,200 a day just on location sound. Like, what do we, what do we, yo, we got to recover. Of course, I'm not surprised that he shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know. So I said, don't worry about it. I'll get it done. In 30 Minutes Flat, we had a five-star hotel booked in order to finish the scene. And it it all worked out. But boy, you talk about sweating bullets.
2: (laughs) How do you handle something like that? Like when you have an actress that you've flown in. Yes. Sitting in a car. You go into a roach motel and they're like, okay, we're coming up in here. What is the response like Like when you get back to the car? Are you transparent with her? Are you just like, this isn't gonna work, we're gonna go somewhere else? What did you say?
3: You know what, Erica Pinkett was so dope that I thought that I felt like, oh man, I know she's irritated. So I tell her what's going on. Come to find out she's only irritated because she's having a conversation on the phone that she's been having for the past two or three hours. I don't know if it was business. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, that hacker her occupied. So when she puts the phone down, she says, huh? I said, yo, we're running late because she said, oh, take your time. I'm enjoying this. And she goes back to the conversation, puts the frown back on her face, and begin cussing whoever out that she's cussing out. Then when we get to the location and she gets off the phone, she's like, all right, y'all ready? And then we do everything. At this time, this was the love scene. We do the love scene, and we're exhausted. And she's like, y'all, let's go to the strip club. And uh, <laughs> we we tired. we like, yo, we better take you back to the airport so we can get you on a flight and get you out of here. But it was safe to say that um, she was very candid concerning um, everything that was going on. And it didn't seem like it bothered her too much. So I'm thankful for that.
2: That's awesome! You got a good soul. A lot of actresses, yeah. you know, the hurry up and wait. Yeah, for sure. And the sure. divas, but it's nice when they, you have a cast of people who just really want to put out a good pride.
3: Absolutely, and absolutely.
2: so, as a fan of Erica, it's really nice to hear that she's just a really nice girl who loves her job.
3: She was, she was super dope. She was super dope, and um, I just, I, I'm blessed because I just had a super. Dope cast all around. They they weren't impatient. They didn't do a lot of complaining. And, um, you know, whenever I get $50 million to do a film, you better believe I'll be reaching back out to them.
2: Oh, that's amazing. And that's good to hear because when you do a film, it is kind of like you create a family, right?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Birthing a baby is like having a wedding. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But I always say, look, nobody is curing cancer it's a party everybody's invited to the party enjoy the party and then the party's over you right. told us about the hectic things that happened during the party what is one of the memories that you have now that the party's over where you're like that was so worth going to What? Well,
3: what's the last thing you said
2: I said, what, what's one of the memories that you have when you look back and you think of Triple D Revenge where you're like, that party was so worth going to. Like if you had to relive one of the days on the set, what day would it be?
3: Um, One day we did 22 hours of filming. SAG don't get us, the unions don't get us. Cause I really, I really did do the best I could to make sure I took care of um, my cast and my crew. I fed them until everybody looked like little beetles. Like I fed them, what do y'all want? Whatever y'all want, whatever I can do to make it comfortable. But one particular day we did 22 hours, okay? And whew, you talk about us moving around and worked it but we pulled it off and we still talk about it we get on the phone to talk about it to this day if um I, I there are other little interviews out with the cast and they'll kind of expound on that but yo we we but you know what it, it brought us closer together and it made us appreciate each other's work ethic and and I, I would take it away if I could
2: that's amazing. What do you What do you hope that the audience takes away after they watch both films?
3: Um, the first triple D, the, the triple D movie, was humble beginnings, and I wanted to, I wanted them to see that um, with little or nothing, we could get on, on on camera and have fun, and it'll be worth watching. Obviously, I didn't know as much about filmmaking. So what I wanted to do is apply filmmaking with um, real dopeness. And I wanted the film to still be dope by the time we got to Triple D Revenge. And um, I just wanted to show the audience that just because you see a lot of black faces on film, it doesn't have to be the typical hood movie that starts off on the porch with low monotones. and all of a sudden, the the dilemma is something that nobody cares about. I didn't I, I wanted to bring a moral. I wanted to bring class, I wanted to bring sophistication. and I really wanted to showcase these actors that worked really hard on this, this film. I wanted to showcase them in a light that, yo, regardless of the fact that we don't have a hundred million dollar budget, we can entertain some people in some theaters for two hours.
2: You keep saying that y'all don't have this $100 million budget, but it opens up like with this beautiful drone shot. We go to this mansion. I don't give too much away, but the scene is very much like, you know, kind of mafioso. Like, <laughs> it doesn't give me no budget. So... Was
4: it a lot of big borrowing and stealing, I mean, stealing?
3: Nah, it was was a lot of grace and mercy. It was a lot of me running around the city, the city asking people to help me by letting me use their property, letting me use their vehicle. Um, It was just a lot of grace and mercy and to be honest. I'm a little spoiled, Brett. I'm not gonna lie, because the 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 budget that we did spend, I looked up and it was a lot more than a lot of other independent films. But um, it, in the grand scheme of things, it still didn't scratch the surface of some other comparable films. And it, it was because I think I had a, a, a tight knit family and some people to say, you know what, Mr. E, I, I believe in you. I'm willing to give you a shot. At what you need.
2: You know, I hate to be a little bit biased, right? But I kind of feel like there's still more to the story. I kind of feel like I want to see these characters again, and I want to see where they are now. Are we going to get a trilogy? Like, we got the Triple D. We got Triple D Revenge. Is it going to be like, what's next in the D? Like, what, what are we getting?
3: Trilogy is on the way. It is on the way. It is on the way. It's too many people that's asking, and I'm pleased to announce that uh, it's already in the works. I can't give you too much more than that, but it's, it's, it's
4: coming.
2: Okay, so we know we got another Triple D movie coming. And Mr. E, you are very ambitious, and that's one of the things that I find so sexy about you.
4: Wow,
3: wow. You think I'm sexy? Can we talk about that?
4: Because
3: no. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are so sexy.
4: To oh audience. jesus
3: i think you were so i think you're so sexy
4: i might get
2: myself one no I'm just saying. but yes i do i think you are extremely handsome you are uber sexy you have like the best voice on earth
3: wow
4: and the most gentle tone
3: listen you know um You've never been in my film before. Can can we audition later?
2: Are you
3: trying to put me on the casting couch? I'm going
4: to put you on the casting couch. My (laughs) My (laughs) what? When y'all see me in Mr. E's
2: next film, you know how I got there.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yo, hey, disclaimer. I am very professional when I cast. I'm very professional when I cast.
2: I went to shit, so I don't count.
3: <laughs> and um, I, I want to say this, like, as always, and as we had one, <coughs> excuse me, we had one special cast member that really, really just elevated everything. And um, I always want to say long live Mo3. Mo3 um, was the very first cast member of Triple D Revenge. I went to him in 2015, 16, somewhere in there. And I was like, yo, I'm gonna do a part two. And he was like, yo, I'm down. And he stayed true to his word all the way until um, the day that he went to glory and I'm so forever thankful for that. I'm thankful for his family and everybody that was a part of it. Shout out to Rain, shout out to everybody that was a part of it, Uh, making sure that it happened. So, Long Live Mo 3, I dedicate that film to him.
2: And he's all over the soundtrack
3: as well. Absolutely, jamming, original records, jamming. So can I flirt
2: again?
3: Yes, absolutely. (laughs)
2: one of the things that I think ladies would love to know about you is that thing that's sitting behind you. Okay. You can actually play it. I don't know if you know, well, yeah, you definitely know. We love musicians. Really? Yes, and something about the piano is oh so sexy.
4: Hmm. Do
2: you mind just playing a tidbit of
4: something?
2: What? Can't tell them you can play, and then they can't see you.
3: Because you. I I can't put my back towards the I can't put my back towards the camera. You know I can't. You know. I, oh, you know what? I unplugged it. Oh, okay. I unplugged it. <laughs> I unplugged it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? But you know what? I promise you an exclusive. I think I think we should do like a. uh I'm plugged just Mister E and Cherry, like a um, like a, a tiny desk, you know, like a little tiny desk thing.
4: Really,
3: unplugged, um, and you know, and then you 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 uh, you lean on the piano, and I get the privilege to look in your eyes, and um, we take each other on a journey. So,
4: so
2: Leg, I'm gonna have to record a little bit of that for y'all. But <laughs> I might save a lot of that for myself.
3: Mm. You more than qualify. We can definitely do a, a private show.
2: Qualified. What are the qualifications? I mean, because other women are gonna want to know if they can qualify too. I just
3: I'm I'm hundred percent confident they won't qualify. This is exclusive shit, not usual shit. And, I, and right now, I, you are the only one that qualifies, unfortunately. I'm sorry, ladies. I'm sorry, ladies.
4: Unfortunately.
2: Fortunately, unfortunately.
3: Fortunately. <laughs> yeah,
2: You're so cute. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're, like, super busy. And you have given me tidbits that I didn't get to know from watching your other interviews. I've stopped like all your interviews on YouTube. Does that mean Really? You uncomfortable?
3: No. What did you uh, what did you discover?
2: I discovered that you're incredibly handsome, that you're well spoken, that you're pretty much comfortable in any environment, that you're not one of those people who I have to give you the questions ahead of time everything comes out eloquently no matter what style of interview you're doing
3: you are so charming and so eloquent and sophisticated like you make me feel like i could conquer the world and we could be in a room full of, pa- full of people and for some reason when you open your mouth i just feel like you're talking to me and i, I like how how do you how do you have that ability? That's what I want to know. I know this is my interview, but like, how do you have the ability for me to gravitate to you? Like it was inevitable. I would have been in love from a distance forever because you you, you just have the ability to make me feel very, very special.
2: But you can conquer the world. I watch you do it on a daily basis. And why would right. you um, do it from a distance? Why
3: wouldn't you approach and let me know? Can we talk? You know, I just you know, your 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 spirit is overwhelming. Your spirit is overwhelming. I don't you know I can see how anybody would be cautious about approaching you. Really?
2: Because my friends call me CNN. In fact, Jocelyn calls me CNN. And that stands for Corny Nigga Madden. Because if there's any Corny Nigga in the facility, that's the one that's going to come talk to me.
4: Mm.
3: Well, I'm not corny by far, but I know what I'm looking at. And you're a whole queen.
2: Thank you for being my queen.
3: Thank you for allowing me to
2: ah and thank you for
3: being a guest on cherry's world podcast man i made it i made it
2: <laughs>
3: You're so i made it i made it if i'm on Cherry, yeah i made it because I've, I've been looking at cherry's world podcast and you have an elite guest list and the okay. fact that i'm in that number like i feel I'm, I'm gonna go to sleep different tonight what up Cherry? run across the world Welcome to cherry's world
1: Girl across the world welcome to cherry's world representing for every girl girl welcome to cherry's world representing for every girl girl welcome to cherry's world